0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pierce and I'm the senior writer at Slashfilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Writers White Chair boy. Hey everyone. And Chris Vangelista. Hello. All right, let's jump right into the news today. HT, we have talked previously about how Doctor Strange was potentially going to cameo at the end of uh, WandaVision, the Disney Plus show, but now we know a little bit more about that thanks to a a recent oral history. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, and you know, now oral histories are being made for shows that just wrapped a couple months ago, so (laughs) that's also a new development, but um, in Rolling (laughs) Stone's... oral history of the making of WandaVision. Head writer Jack Schaefer talked about the ideas that were in play for how the Doctor Strange cameo with Benedict Cumberbatch would have played out in... Uh, Wanda Vision, And she said, um, the plan when I came on board was that there would be a handoff and Dr. Strange's participation would essentially amount to a short cameo. Early outlines include um, Wanda and Dr. Strange kind of riding off in the sunset together, but that didn't feel quite right. Um, and it felt a little tacked on. Another problem was if Dr. Strange shows up at the end, where was he the whole time? But she wrote a couple of variations of Dr. Strange's uh, variations on the f- those final beats. Um, and there were versions where Wanda was flying past the city limits and then encounter Doctor Strange and that kind of thing one other idea that she had was that the Sorcerer Supreme himself would appear in one of the fictional commercials that showed up every episode um, that Kevin Feige had confirmed were originally intended to build up to Doctor Strange's appearance but you know Now that his appearance was scrapped, it just kind of was a fun little subliminal thing. But one of her ideas was that in the Nexus commercial in episode seven, it would be a blink and you miss it cameo, a quick image of Doctor Strange as the pharmacist in the background. Uh, She was very inspired by Fight Club when Brad Brad Pitt's character is on the TV in the hotel, um, where if you're looking closely, you see it for just a second. And we're like, the Nexus commercial is her subconscious. So that's something that was one of the ideas for how Doctor Strange's cameo would have uh, played out.
0: Did you happen to finish *WandaVision* HD? I know you sort of. Yeah, I
1: did. I I think I had we had a whole conversation about how my the ending was a, a little disappointing for me.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Okay. So what do you think about this, um, you know, these these new details here? Do you Would you have enjoyed seeing Benedict Cumberbatch suited up as a pharmacist and a quick cameo in the background here? Would that have been uh, more satisfying than what you got, you think?
1: Yeah. I actually feel like the the commercial idea with the quick blinking in the cameo is, is better than the original intention for him to show up at the end. And then that leads up to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because that feels much more orchestrated than just a you know more subliminal things Mm -hmm. so i like that idea of the the commercial um but the idea of him showing up at the end and they're like oh what's what will happen next find out in doctor strange the multiverse of madness uh would have just felt very gimmicky and would have taken away even further from the ending which i already feel was very rushed and kind of um didn't stick the landing as it could have
0: yeah. I, I like the part where she talks about how if Dr. Strange just shows up at the end, where was he this whole time? And that, yeah. that's a question that I think a lot of people have been asking about a lot of stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, as it's existed thus far. And probably will continue to ask those questions and, and um, you know, filmmakers and creators and showrunners and people of that sort will have to sort of contend with that as a major thing as this universe continues to expand and get bigger. Um uh, the the one thing that I the one other quote that Kevin Feige said here was the decision to pull Doctor Strange out of uh, Wandavision and sort of scrap this cameo led to quote a better ending on Wandavision than we originally thought of and a better storyline in Doctor Strange so that makes it seem sort of like they had to rewrite uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness uh, at least to some degree so maybe you know the the original plan for that movie was for him to uh, be sucked into the world of WandaVision at the very end or something like that. So um, now uh, Feige says it's a better storyline. So I guess uh, maybe somebody will be able to ask him, you know, what those earlier intentions were uh, as the press tour for, for that movie rolls out um, at some point next year. But um, all right, let's move on to our next story here, which involves at uh, mayor of Easttown season two is a season two possible. Chris, what's going on with that? Uh,
2: this is one of those things where it's, it's never say never, but it probably won't happen. Um, So Mayor of Easttown just ended uh, and this has been billed as a limited series from the beginning, you know, a one and done series. But HBO sort of did that before with Big Little Lies. The first season was called a limited series and then they were like, you know what, we're doing a second season. And everyone agreed that second season was bad. But uh, so, you know, you might be wondering, oh, is that going to happen with Mayor of Easttown? So Brad Inglesby, who created the series Uh, was asked that and he replied it was written as a limited series and it ends there's no more mystery to be solved Uh, and then he goes on to say if there was a world where we were convinced that this is a continuation of the story that honors the first chapter and does things an audience will appreciate then maybe but as of right now I have no idea what that could be so in other words, he's saying, you know, never say never. Maybe if they think of a really great story, they'll do a second season. But right now there are no plans for that.
0: So did you finish Mare Town, Chris? I did. What did you think about the ending? Uh, I guess I was, without spoiling it, if you can.
2: I liked it. And I I am actually A-okay with this being, you know, a one and done thing. I feel like it's okay to let things end. And I feel like uh, we as like a, a culture of entertainment consumers have gotten into this weird rut where everything has to be like world building and a franchise and lore and like everything has to be the first chapter in something and it's like i'm i'm fine with like a, a complete story like not everything needs to keep going it's okay mm-hmm. to let things end and i'm i'm perfectly okay with how this wrapped up and uh, you know i you know i don't think it needs a second season
0: yeah i'm kind of right there with you and i i feel like the idea of bringing these characters back for a second season would, um, I guess you could maybe explore a little bit more of Mare's growth in the wake of the sort of revelations that happen near the end of the season. But um, you know, a lot of uh, the first season of the show was about her character specifically encountering some pretty horrific stuff and like going through some, some deep family traumas. And to, um, to bring the show back for a second season sort of implies to me that, that the mayor character and maybe some of the other supporting characters in the show will just be put through the ringer a little bit more, and something about that kind of feels almost cruel to me given given how um you know the the series wraps up, like the idea of just throwing them back into the deep end after they you know maybe just grabbed a a um a, a lifesaver or something if you want to like stretch the metaphor so uh yeah, I don't know I, I guess we'll have to see how this goes but uh h c did you happen to watch Mers down?
1: I have not. I'm behind on almost every true crime or crime series that there is. I still haven't even listened to Serial, so that's how far behind I'm on things.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That was, like, what, 2014 or something?
1: A while ago, so I'm just (laughs) very behind on these things. My only wish is that there is is a second season, which I'm sure um, no one wants, that the subtitle be Murder Most Mayor.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. All right. Well, uh, I, I look forward to hearing what you think about Mare of Easttown season one sometime in, uh, I don't know, 2027 at this <laughs> rate. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so let's get to our next story, which involves um, Quentin Tarantino and his novel of, of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He recently appeared on a podcast and gave some people uh, some more information about that book. HT, what do we know
1: Yeah, so uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Novelization is coming out this June, and he gave a couple more details, spoke about how uh, it's going to be more than just a few extra scenes as it was billed as uh, back when the novelization was first announced, but more like a complete rethinking of the film, quote unquote. And he talks about how they're based on the writings that he was doing in the five years leading up to making uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, how he was fleshing out, the, working out the characters, learning about the characters, learning about this world. And those the writing that he did over those five years uh, basically turned into this novel. He retold the story as a novel, and he described the novel as an unwieldy version of the movie, and um, part of that unwieldy version is uh, learning more about uh, Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, the morally ambiguous stuntman who is the best bro of Leonardo DiCaprio's fading star, Vic Dalton, and um, who may or may not have killed his wife. We don't know, <laughs> but um, that I feel like the whole the enigma of that was sort of the whole appeal of his character. Part of part of what made. Um, Gave that sort of weird fairy tale aspect of once upon a time in Hollywood, but Tarantino said that the book will go deeper into Cliff Booth's past. Uh, it will go back in time to tell you about Cliff at this point in time, and um, quote. And then you go further on with the normal run of the story, and then there's another chapter that goes back in time and tells you about Cliff's past. And every isolated chapter that's just about Cliff's past is like a weird little pulp novel unto itself, starring Cliff, which sounds like a really interesting pitch a little pulp novel starring Brad Pitt's character. But um yeah, I don't I don't know how I feel about just kind of fleshing out who this character is. I feel like he already was such a an interesting pop of a character as he was. So uh I have to find know um what you uh both of you guys think about Chris. Um, mm-hmm. and
0: Ben. yeah Chris you go ahead. What do you think?
2: Uh I'm I'm interested in this just because it feels somewhat different because I don't know. Cause like, I usually agree with that. This character was fine and you know, we don't need the backstory, but I got to admit, I just love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much that I'm, I'm just really curious to see how different the book is than the film. I think that's really what I'm, I'm curious about the most to see how much, because you know, a novel is not the same thing as a screenplay, And you know, I, I've never, Uh, And, you know, none of us have read, you know, a a novel by Quentin Tarantino because he hasn't written one before or if he has, he hasn't released it. So I'm just really curious to see how this, you know, how his voice comes through in book form versus, you know, a screenplay.
0: Yeah, I think the thing I'm most um, uh, curious about is like the the, uh, voice of the, the, the structure of the individual chapters, like, is it going to be, you know, George R. R. Martin style or something where each chapter is like from the point of view of these specific characters, um, uh, or is it going to be more of an omniscient kind of thing? And, you know, if that's the case, um, you know, I think who was it? Kurt Russell that did the narration of, uh, of the movie version of once upon a time in Hollywood. So there, there was a little bit of that sort of omniscient, um, approach to storytelling in that movie but i think the like chris was saying the the idea of a novel will allow uh the author if he chooses to sort of uh, paint a more of a picture um of the interiority of cliff's character and if that's the case and and um and and that's the approach that they go with then yeah I i think i'm i'm sort of interested in you know going back and filling in some of those details if it's like from that character's perspective um I don't know. Yeah, it's a a tough thing because like we're like we're saying, you know, we have no idea what this is going to really look or feel like other than, as he says here, an unwieldy version of the movie, which um, I don't really know what that means. But uh, (laughs) I guess we'll find out. So, Aisha, do you know when this thing comes out?
1: Yes, the book uh, is released June 29th, 2021, and it's going to be first released uh, in paperback alongside ebook and digital audio editions and then a deluxe hardcover edition will follow in the fall.
0: Okay. Wow. So that's this month. So yeah, if you want to jump back into that world, uh, it should be pretty soon. Okay. So our last story here involves Creed 3 and some casting news. Chris, tell us about that.
2: I sure will. Creed 3, as uh, it's not a done deal yet, but they're very close to casting Jonathan Majors in the film to play the new opponent of Michael B. Jordan's Adonis Creed. And uh, Jonathan Majors is, of course, from Lovecraft Country, and he was in The Five Bloods, and he's going to be in the new Ant-Man movie coming up. So uh, he's he's one of those actors who's you should watch out for because he's going to get bigger and bigger
0: that's all oh, I have, ben. okay <laughs> that's it Ben. He's also,
1: he's also great in last black man in san francisco which, oh yes uh, yeah he is fantastic great in, that. in that
2: right
0: yeah that was the first place i saw him and i was like holy crap who is this guy and it seems like he's really blown up since then um chris do we know any other uh i guess details or or uh, whispers rumors about who exactly he might be playing other than just the person who goes in the ring against adonis
2: no there's nothing out there there's a lot of like fan speculation that he's gonna play like clubber lang that's mr t's character the son of that character but mm. i really hope they don't do that because for one thing they already did you know the son of a guy thing they did that with Cree too, where it's the son of ivan drago and if they're just gonna have him if they're gonna have him like fight the sons of all of rocky's <laughs> opponents it's gonna get real old real fast so yeah i'm mm. i'm really hoping they're not gonna do that because that's just it seems like a really lazy idea
1: there was a really interesting fan theory that you put on the slack Chris?
2: Uh, Yes, I don't have it in front of me, but someone mentioned that um, a better idea would be for Adonis to fight one of uh, Apollo Creed's other sons. Because in the other Rocky movies, you know, uh, Adonis is is Apollo's illegitimate son. He's from an affair he had, whereas uh, Apollo Creed also had sons with his wife, so... And we haven't actually seen them in in the, in the Creed franchise. Like, there's no real mention of them. So hmm. that would actually be a really interesting twist to have, like the two sons of Apollo Creed fighting each other. I really like that idea. I hope that comes true, but that again is just a theory.
0: Yeah, and Michael B. Jordan is directing Creed Three, right? Yes, he is. Okay. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, man. Yeah. Jonathan majors is just great. So like, this is, it sounds like good news all around. I mean, even though we don't have specifics about that character, um, it's just great to see him, you know, getting these huge sort of high profile roles here and, uh, yeah like you mentioned he's got the the friggin ant-man and the wasp quantumania role coming up so yeah i think people are going to be seeing a lot of him if you don't know his name if he's not a, a household name yet uh it seems like it's only a matter of time so um all right i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily i think as of right now fingers crossed we're planning to do a water cooler episode this coming friday i know we we missed one last week um but uh, that's the plan as it stands right now. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Google, Apple, uh, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts. Tell your friends to spread the word. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you tomorrow.
1: This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines.